Well, with that, I would like to introduce to you our guest for this evening. Now, uh, Lisa's son is here, and she, I know she's so proud and everything. Yeah, and uh, um, so I, I, I thought I had mentioned this. Oh, it'd be great to have, have her son here, and and I met him before. He was at our house before when Sunday issue. I remember you sharing things, and then he was at our house again. Jared had interviewed him, uh, and you'll see, you can find videos uh, like on uh, Jared, you know, my son does Aloha Keiko clothing, and I forgot where, your Instagram or wherever you have a link of some interview videos that he has posted. But uh, Lisa's son, he's, he's this becoming this expert scholar, uh, smarter than me and everyone else. No, <laughs> uh, on really uh, Hawaiian Christian history. And to me, that's one of the interests I have even, you know, living in Hawaii and ministering in Hawaii. It's, it's good to know what our, our roots are as Christians here living here and what had happened in the 1800s with the revival where people were coming to Jesus Christ and Ali'i were coming to Jesus Christ and being saved. And, and if, if I'm correct in this, there was more Christians per capita in the census, right? Around 1890, right? Uh, uh, per capita here in Hawaii than the mainland. So God did an incredible, wonderful work here in Hawaii. And so I, I, this, this is just so interesting to me. Anything about Jesus Christ in the islands, you know, is interesting. So I thought it'd be great for, our, you know, end of the month, Koinonia meal, uh, where I do different things. That'd be great to have Lisa's son here. And so if you can welcome right now Pastor Kae'o de Koi. He has a box of tricks here, too, he's bringing. I thought the kind was supposed to bring that to your, your servant, huh? Oh, man. No, no. <laughs> you, can, you can put them up here. So here he is, Pastor Kaeo. Give him a warm welcome again. Yeah. Now, um, let's begin with this. Now, Pastor Kyle has, has has put together this organization, right? And um, and they have a website about all these things that we're going to be talking about, artifacts, and and he he's he's like a Hawaiian archaeologist, sort of. Yeah, historian, I should say. Yeah, and um, <laughs> amateur, amateur. amateur, but I don't know. You you know things more than me, so you're expert to me. <laughs> um, so tell us about the Mo'olelo Kuio. Did uh, I say that right? Yeah. All yeah, right. Mo'olelo um, Yeah, we just officially started the organization just a little over a year ago, uh, but the inspiration's been um, for a few years now. I mean, my mom's here, so my mom will tell you that I always collected stuff. When I was a little kid, you know, from baseball cards, milk covers, uh, army man, ninja turtles, like I was a coins, I was a collector of, of all kinds of things, and uh, now I see how the Lord was actually, you know, putting that in me, and, and now using it, because what I do now is just collect more stuff, but it's not baseball cards, it's 200-year-old uh, <laughs> books and, and things like that. 
So really the organization kind of formed around the collection first. And the collection was put together because we just wanted to know more about the truth of Christianity in Hawaii and the gospel story in the islands. And so we started collecting primary resources. And uh, over the last few years, we've amassed one of the bigger um, privately owned um, Hawaiian Christian era artifact uh, collections. Obviously, you've got the Mission House and, and uh, Bishop Museum and, and you know the big dogs. But as far as um, civilians, we have one of the, the bigger private collections of specifically um, Christian Hawaiian artifacts from about the late 1700s all the way up until um, the early 1900s. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, what's the website again? If people uh, www.moolelokuio.com or you can find us on Instagram, moolelokuio, uh, and all over Jared's page too. <laughs> oh yeah, Jared has, has links too from Aloha Keakua clothing. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit now, um, maybe your mom still has all your old collections, huh? Yeah, it's slowly getting rid of. <laughs> but hey, um, tell us how, how did, maybe it's part of your testimony yeah. coming to Christ, but how did you get into even, your, you know, collecting yeah. the Hawaiian history artifacts? Yeah. Um, so I was pretty kolohe as a young stir, and my, you know, my, my godmother is here too, my auntie, so. We heard the stories, sure by the way. all of you guys have heard some of the stories, <laughs> and that's just the stuff they know about, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but, you know, I was pretty kolohe as a, as a young kid, and then, um, through the grace of God and the faithfulness of my mother and other people that have been praying for me for, you know, since I was born, I, I did you know, wholeheartedly um, put faith in Christ as a, as a late teenager. Um, and I did so all while not knowing really the story of Christianity in Hawaii as it relates to Native Hawaiians. And my mom will also tell you that I was very, very, very prideful about being Hawaiian and got into trouble because of my pride um, for being Native Hawaiian. And, and so I came to faith in Christ really um, out of necessity, but it was in conflict with what I knew about being Hawaiian. And so even though um, I didn't know the history of Christianity in Hawaii, I was willing to put faith in Christ because my life was a mess and Jesus was the answer and the gospel was what saved me. And so I did that, but in the back of my heart and in the back of my mind, I always kind of felt like I was turning my back on my identity as a kanaka. And that was fine, because Jesus is more important than anything. Amen? So our identity, our culture, um, Jesus is more important than, and than all of that stuff. And so I really came to that true understanding, and I, I made my peace with it. I guess I will um, not be as Hawaiian, but it's okay because I love Jesus. And so I was, you know, a um, faithful member of my youth group, and still kolohe back and forth, and... <laughs> And, you know, got, was going to church and uh, in my early 20s got into ministry and was working at, uh, you know, a Hawaiian church, a Po'okela church right up the road from you guys uh, in ministry for several years, all while not knowing the stories that I know now. And then I, I do remember I was on Kauai um, for the first time when somebody told me, uh, it, was, it was a presentation kind of like this where someone was talking about 
Henry Opukahaia. And so I heard the story of the first Hawaiian Christians, and really I thought it was ridiculous. So I didn't think it was true. And, um, uh, but it, it, it immediately intrigued me, and that's what started my venture into researching more about Christianity in Hawaii. And so, um, yeah, I say this on one of Jared's videos, but it was, a, it was a wonderful day for me when Christ gave back my identity as a Hawaiian. Because for f- several years, I felt like uh, I had to choose between being Hawaiian or being Christian because the two were just in conflict with each other. And only after I found uh, the history uh, was I able to really make peace with that. That it is not only is it okay for me as a Hawaiian to love Christ, it's basically what all of our kupuna did. It's um, pretty much what all of the later ali'i did. And our kingdom was founded on Christian principles, which are clearly mandated in our, our constitutions. And finding things like that out really changed my life. You know, Of course, the most important day of my life is when I found Christ. And then a very important day in my life is when I discovered that I could be Hawaiian and be proud to be Hawaiian and still love Jesus. And now God has been able to use um, who I am and the things I was always into as a vehicle to... Um, proclaim the gospel. And that's really at the heart of Mo'olelo Ku'io. Do we do Hawaiian history? Yeah. Do we collect artifacts? Yeah. But that's not at the heart of what we do. What we do, what we do is proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God loved us so much, he made a way out for us. And um, Regardless of if you're Hawaiian or Japanese or whatever you are, that's the truth. And, and that is the core of, of Mo'olelo Ku'io. I love that. Isn't that great? That's the core, right? Jesus Christ. That's our foundation. And no matter what culture, uh, you know, I was born by Japanese parents and everything, but it was Jesus that made all of this important. And I think that's good to keep in mind in our lives, even, you know, our whatever career you have. No, what's important is Jesus, you know, whatever nationality or where you live or, you know, it's Jesus Christ. And and no matter uh, our race or whatever, that's what unites us, right? Jesus Christ. And I've always loved, though, Hawaiian, Christian Hawaiian history, and I've read a lot of of things, uh, 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 books about that. And it just always intrigued me just because we live here and the history of it. And and because it's about Jesus Christ coming to the islands, that's what really gets me excited. And again, it's about Jesus Christ. So um, maybe share. You mentioned I'm um, Henry Opuka Haia. Um, maybe share because it, it really started with him, yeah. right? And how did that start? Because he he got saved. In, uh, on the mainland, right? In New England or, or wherever that was, right? Yeah. Maybe share a little bit about that. Um, yeah, the story of Christian Hawaii really kind of does start with, with Opukaha'ia. Um, Opukaha'ia was born around 1792 uh, in Ninole, which is in Ka'u on uh, Hawaii Island. And uh, he grew up in the midst of Kamehameha the Great's campaign to unify the islands under his banner. Um, Kamehameha had already solidified his control over Hawaii Island and and all of the islands, really. But there was a rebellion that had broken out uh, on Hawaii Island, 
and Kamehameha was returning to Hawaii Island to kind of squash the rebellion. And it's during that battle where a boy named Henry Opukahaia lost uh, both his mother and his father who were killed uh, during this uprising. Um, the story goes that Opukahaia fled the battle carrying his infant brother on his shoulders, but the baby was struck by a, a spear thrown by a Hawaiian warrior and uh, fell dead there. And Henry was then taken captive and made to live as a servant in the house of the man that killed his family. So a very tragic um, childhood and upbringing. And then after some time spent in captivity, his uncle was able to barter for his freedom. Uh, his uncle was a kahuna at uh, Hikiao, which is the heiau down at Kealakekua on the big island. And so he was able to acquire Opukahia's freedom. And then he took him in as his own apprentice, where he began to train him in the ways of the kapu. And uh, he became kind of a disciple of uh, the old priesthood. And if you've ever been to Kealakekua and you've seen Hikiao, which is that big heiau right on the side of the parking lot there, in the back, which is now covered with kiave and, and bushes, is a smaller um, rock monument heiau, which was the heiau that Henry Opukahia was building while he was training to be a kahuna in, in Hikiao. Um, but while he's there, this is a time in Hawaiian history where um, the floodgates have already been opened to the Western world, to, to the entire world, and sailors, uh, merchants, traders, uh, people from all over had begun to come to Hawaii. Remember, Captain Cook came in 1778, right? Um, he wasn't a missionary. Uh, <laughs> to me, you know, in my years spent hating all uh, white people on sailboats that came to Hawaii, <laughs> the, Captain Cook classified as a missionary. But upon further research, he was, he's not a, a missionary at all, nor was he associated with the work of the church. He's an explorer, and he was, uh, he's actually mapping the stars and the Pacific really, you know, I won't take that credit away from him. He was a good explorer. He gave us things like uh, latitude and longitude. Uh, but he was not a missionary. So he was here. Um, we know how that story ended. But f after Cook's demise, people from all over the world begin to come to Hawaii. And so while Opukahaia is coming of age, um, Hawaii has already been opened up to the world. Kealakekua becomes this hub for international traffic, where ships from the Orient, from... Uh, you know, Mexico, from all over the world, really, are, and Europe, obviously, are, are coming into Kealakekua. Uh, Opukahaia has a friend named Hopu, who has spent more time than Opukahaia going back and forth from the ships and the shoreline. And after some time of doing that, he learns how to speak a little bit of English, and then he petitions his friend Opukahaia to join him aboard uh, this ship called the Triumph, which is captained by Caleb Brintall. Um, who's a, a guy from New York, ships out of New York. And so after a little back and forth and some um, you know, convincing of his uncle, Opukahaia does join Hopu and they become crew members on this ship called the Triumph, which then leaves Hawaii and really travels all around the world, from Mexico to Oregon to China to South Africa, all the way around to New England, where it finally um, lands in its home port in uh, New York. And the boys follow their captain, Caleb Brintall, all the way down to New Haven, Connecticut, after he sells uh, the ship, the Triumph. And really, when they end up in Connecticut, uh, 
amazing things start to happen. It's a time in American history that is known uh, by Christian, Christian historians as the um, Second Great Awakening. It's a time in America's history where really the Holy Spirit begins to move and people's application of the scripture becomes much more righteous. Uh, remember, America is immersed in slave culture at this time. And so the Second Great Awakening is really this time where Christian Americans start to wrestle with the concept of slavery as Christ lovers, which we all know um, you shouldn't be doing, right? And so Opukahaia and Hopu end up in Connecticut in the midst of all of this Second Great Awakening stuff happening. And they begin to rub shoulders with guys like Lyman Beecher and Timothy Dwight, Samuel John Mills Jr., just really famous American um, preachers and theologians. And this is some of the fingerprints of God's work um, in the lives of Hawaiian people, that these boys would not only leave uh, Hawaii, but end up in the midst of a revival that really had not been seen in, in the United States up until that point. And so the boys are there. And uh, it's actually Hopu who um, begins to talk to the students at Yale College, what we call Yale University now. Um, and he strikes up a friendship with them and encourages Opukahaia to uh, get some education. The story goes that Henry is found weeping on the steps outside of Yale as he begs for somebody to educate him. And, of course, he's denied an education by Yale because of racism. Colored people weren't allowed to um, be accepted into Yale. Um, but his plea uh, reaches the ears of a guy named E.W. Dwight. And, and Dwight takes Opukahaia and begins to mentor him and teach him English and, and, and literacy. And he just so happens to have a family member who's the president of Yale. And so uh, Timothy Dwight decides that they will uh, kind of adopt Opukahaia and begin his formal education, not as a registered student of Yale, but being taught directly by the president of Yale. So that's God's grace, right? That when man's establishment says you're the wrong color to be educated here, God says, that's all right. I'll have the leader of the whole university teach you instead. <laughs> and so Opukahaia begins his, his formal education from the, the leaders of Yale. Um, by the time he's 26 years old, he's amassed uh, what we would consider today a doctorate-level education. And he's able to speak Hawaiian, English, Greek, and Hebrew. And, and by the time he's 26, basically has a Ph.D. in theology from Yale. Um, you know, young adult Native Hawaiian boy in the 1800s. Wow. And so Henry is, the, sorry, I forgot to tell you, they gave him the name Henry because turns out Opukahaia is a little bit hard for, uh, you know, Bostonians to say. So uh, they give him the name Henry and they give Hope with the name Thomas. So if you hear me jumping back and forth between Opukahaia and Henry, it's the, it's the same guy. Um, Hopu was not quite... Uh, into education as much as Opukahaia was, and he kind of takes interest in other things outside of school and, and uh, really feels drawn back to the ocean. You know, this is a Hawaiian boy who grew up swimming in Kealakekua and he's been a sailor for most of his young adult life and so, or childhood and now adult life. And so he actually joins the, the military and fights along General Andrew Jackson in the War, War of 1812. Oh, wow. And he accompanies him down to New Orleans where he fights... Uh, alongside Andrew Jackson. He's actually taken captive five times in the West Indies 
during the war and escapes five times. And uh, he's imprisoned once and um, starving to death. And he's given water and food by African slaves. And so from that moment on, Hopu makes a lifelong dedication uh, to fight against the oppression of African slaves in America. And really, as members of the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, which Opukahi and Hopu become, uh, that organization is, is the, um, the main organization that's fighting slavery in America at the time. So these boys are really in the mix with a lot of revolutionary things that are happening. Um, Hopu once, his, while he was fighting in the War of 1812, his ship was capsized. And um, the story says that Hopu was able to get the boat and pull all of his crew members on the boat. And then he dove back down under the ship, which was capsized, and went into the captain's quarters and took the curtains and whatever stuff he could get and came back and went back to the rowboat and built a sail and sailed the crew back to shore using the stars to navigate wow. 400 miles. And I'm like, wow, that's a Hawaiian right there. You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, Hopu was, uh, his story hasn't really been told for 200 years because we had the memoirs of Henry Opukahia for a long time, but not the memoirs of Thomas Hopu. But now we have the memoirs of Thomas Hopu too. So his story has definitely added some some jewels to the saga of Christianity in Hawaii. Um, but as the boys continue their uh, adventures in New England, um, some amazing things are also happening back home, right? King Kamehameha the Great uh, has unified the islands, and really, um, we truly believe this, that God used the unification of the Hawaiian islands as a staging point for the arrival of the gospel. If the missionaries show up and they got to go from Ahupua'a to Ahupua'a, dealing with ali'i and ali'i and ali'i and ali'i that all really had different religious flair. Uh, it would have been a monumental task to uh, preach the gospel to a nation. When the kingdom is unified and the gospel does arrive, it's basically one platform that, that they're preaching to. So it makes it a lot easier. So we do believe that, that God used Kamehameha the Great's conquest of the Hawaiian Islands as a staging point for the arrival of the gospel. All of that is happening while Opukaha'ia and Hopu are in um, New England. Um, the foreign mission school that the boys attended became kind of like um, a famous school because it was the only Christian school that was educating um, kids that weren't white. And so the foreign mission school had Hopu, uh, Opukaha'ia, Humehume, Kanui, Honolii, a bunch of Cherokee Native Americans, and, and they were uh, being educated by the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. That's the organization that would eventually um, sanction the first missionary voyage to Hawaii. So these things are happen, happening simultaneously, which is another um, you know, strong evidence for you know, that, the fact that God was working uh, from several angles here. What also happens in New England... All right, let me jump. Sorry, I'm jumping no, all over no. the place. Um, oh, here we go. All right. Here we go. I'm going to hammer the coat down. <laughs> so while Henry is, is being educated and Hopu's out saving the world, um, there's a, an event that happened a few years before that 
um, known by many Christian historians as the Haystack Prayer Revival or the Haystack Prayer Meeting. And this is, uh, there was a thunderstorm at a seminary and five pious Christian seminary students took shelter from this thunderstorm under a haystack where they prayed uh, in the you know, Holy Spirit that God would enable them to take the gospel to the far reaches of the earth um, and to fulfill the Great Commission. One of the members of this notorious meeting uh, called the Haystack Prayer Meeting is a man named San- Samuel John Mills Jr. You can write that one down. Very important man, Samuel John Mills Jr. Now, most Christian historians would credit the Haystack Prayer Meeting and Samuel John Mills Jr. Uh, as the launching point for all American mission work. So basically, uh, American missionary movement started with the members of the Haystack Prayer Meeting, which eventually became the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. So um, Samuel John Mills Jr. travels down to uh, Cornwall, Connecticut, where he meets a young man named Opukahaia, which he views as an answer to his prayer for him to be able to take the gospel to the far reaches of the earth. I mean, Hawaii is the farthest geographical location from Israel on earth. Did you know that? Mm. From Israel, if you go straight through the earth, you end up in Polynesia. We're the furthest culture away from the origin story of, of Jesus Christ, right? And so I imagine that Mills probably views his meeting of Opukahia as divine intervention. Mm. They strike up a, a fast friendship, and eventually Samuel John Mills Jr., along with his father, Samuel John Mills Sr., uh, adopt Henry Opukahia and continue his education uh, but really, more importantly than that, develop a deep, deep friendship and relationship. And they share one great ambition, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ back to Henry's countrymen in Hawaii. It's a sentiment that's expressed time and time again in the memoirs of Opukahaia and in the memoirs of, of Samuel John Mills Jr. Um, anyway, uh, so they, they both really want to take the gospel back to Hawaii. Uh, I do want to mention a little bit about Mills's character. In a time in American history where prejudice ran rampant, he really was a bright, shining light of the love of Christ. And this is what I mean by that. Mills would tour up and down the New England coast, and he would raise money. Then he would take that money, and he would sail to Africa. And then he would buy thousands of acres of land in Africa. Then he would sail back to New England, and he would raise more money. Then he would go and buy as many African slaves as he could. And then he would put them on the ship, and he would sail back to Africa, and he would set them free on the land that he had purchased. So to the racist white legal authority, they were his slaves on his land. But between them, they knew they were free, and they could do as they pleased. That's just a glimpse into the content of the character of, of Samuel John Mills Jr. In a time where you didn't do that if you were a white American. You just didn't put your neck out like that. And so he really was uh, a wonderful Christian. And, and I truly believe that God um, allowed Opukahia to re- meet the right guy at the right time. And the two of them begin planning uh, the first missionary voyage to Hawaii along with raising funds. What Mills would also do is take Hopu and Kanui and Honolii and Opukahaia, and they would go with him as they toured the, the churches in 
you know, uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut, and they would, you know, do their little tour. And he would um, kind of show the boys off. He would have Opukahaya get up and read the scriptures in Hebrew, read the scriptures in Greek, you know, preach a sermon in, in English. And people were just absolutely amazed because the, the perspective then was that um, colored people didn't possess uh, the mental nor spiritual aptitude for the gospel or for deep theology. And so hearing a boy like Opukahaia uh, preach was absolutely revolutionary to them. And they would donate money to the work of the mission. Mm-hmm. And that was the plan. If we can show people that the gospel can take root in indigenous cultures, then maybe they'll be willing to fund it. And so they, they did that. They started raising money. But then tragically, both Mills and Opukahaia die within six months of each other. Mills dies en route back from Africa. And this is speculation, so I do speculate, not only have documented history, uh, but, but I'll step away from the documented history and I'll speculate this. If you were the only white guy that was sticking your neck out for African-American slaves at that time, and you were on a ship going to and fro from Africa... Um, yeah, he died. Yeah, he died um, of sickness. But, you know, lots of people got poisoned back then too, you know. And there wasn't really, you know, the NCIS roaming around. So I would speculate that someone probably wanted him dead for what he was doing. Now, is that documented? No. What's documented is that he died of illness in route back from Africa. So we'll stick with that story and don't, don't let my conspiracies take root. That's, that's not true. But it just, it just sounds so fishy to me that brought a diet on the boat coming back, you know, uh, like a lot of our kings and queens, right, when you think about it. Um, and then Opukahia dies in New England of typhus. He's 26 years old when he passes away. And so for a moment, it seems as if the mission to Hawaii will die with Mills and, and Opukahia. But after his death, um, friends of Henry uh, get his personal diary and they publish it under the title of The Memoirs of Henry Obukaya. Um, within a short amount of time, the, mem- the Memoirs of Henry become the second most popular book in all of New England behind the Bible. So you're talking about hundreds of thousands of copies of a native Hawaiian boy's diary that is now flooding um, New England bookshelves. So there's the Bible. Of course, that's the number one best-selling book. But the number one book right behind the Bible is this young boy, young adult's Hawaiian's journal. And so the story of Henry Opukahia gets out to the churches and it begins to build momentum. And it truly does uh, become the spark that starts the fire for missionary voyages to Hawaii. Um, it's not a pistol. Don't worry. This, uh, what we have right here, so this is the actual memoirs of Henry Opukahaia that was printed in 1819. Pastor can touch it if you want. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, but that's a 200-plus-year-old book, and that's the book that really started uh, the mission to bring the gospel to Hawaii. Is there any more of these in existence? Or? Yeah, yeah. You can go, you can spend your allowance and buy some on, on, uh, online. Is it a lot? No, there's very few. What was the most popular book in, in America at the time is probably one of the rarer books in the world right now. But there are a few copies out there 
At one time, they would have only run you like 100 to 300 bucks. Now it's like 1,000 to 2,000. And, and, and I will, <laughs> I will blame ourselves for that. Um, we made the mistake of buying a lot of our collection from the same dealer, but not all at once. So in the last five years, books that were 200 are now, you know, 2,000 because he knows we're going to buy them anyway. So it's like, so we should have just bought a bunch of stuff at once. Wow. But yeah, this, this is really um, where it all started from Olelaku'io. This was the first artifact that we collected. This was gifted to me uh, by um, Pastor John Stout, who uh, along with myself and Pastor Pancho Hopai is on the board of directors from Olelaku'io. He's, he's the co-founder of it. He had given me this many years ago. And so at first, I just thought it was really cool, you know, to have the memoirs of Henry Opukahaia because I knew the story. Well, um, Pastor Pancho also knew the story. And uh, one of, you know, one of my lifetime memories is the day we were at the Hawaiian Island Ministries Conference on Oahu. And we had brought this uh, to show people. And Pastor Pancho's reaction to seeing the memoirs of Henry Opukahaia really uh, was what solidified my desire to start Mo'olela Ku'io. Because I saw how powerful uh, the vehicle of Hawaiian history was for a Christian Hawaiian that kind of always felt jaded about his faith and being Hawaiian. And so at the conference, we say, hey, Pastor Pancho, check this out. This is the memoirs of Henry Opukahaia. And he almost passed out. You know? And so from that moment on, we said, ah, got it, Lord. This is, this is something that we can use. So in that moment, it went from collecting cool things to purposeful. So um, that, that um, you, can't, you guys online can't see him, but <laughs> Pastor Pancho sitting in back, but uh, smiling really big right now. But um, you mean, when you say this, you mean from this idea of how missionaries ruin Hawaii yeah. Yeah, to wait. There was... One Hawaiian yeah. who influenced yeah. the missionaries to come. That that's really yeah. that thought. Oh, and and then the meaning of the name of the organization is yeah. So you know, in typical Hawaiian fashion, we didn't choose the name. The name was was given to us. Uh, Mo'olela Ku'io means the the true story or the true history. Not because we know it, but because we seek it. And so we are on a path to find the true story to. Um, History, and I told Pastor this earlier, history is only known to God. What we have is people's accounts of history. And we piece those things together and try and come up with a clear picture of what happened in history. But really, God only knows that. And so, uh, it's his, historiography is, is what we study, right? The, what people have said about history. What did you call that? The, his, the, historiography. The, theography. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's shout out to shout out to Dr. Ron Williams. That's his word. I'm not. Biography. Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay, new word tonight. Yeah. Um, so then, from the memoirs being published and many people reading it, how does that connect right. to the missionary? So, because of the popularity of the memoirs of Henry Opukahaia, many of the American Christians decide to not only fund but support and even join 
the mission to Hawaii. In fact, Elijah Loomis, who is one of the more famous uh, American missionaries in Hawaii, actually says he only joins the mission after having read the memoirs of Henry Opukahaia. So it really is the documented uh, driving force behind the mission to Hawaii. And, and that's why it sparked such a reaction from Pastor Pancho and so many others, is that there's so much speculation on both sides of, of, of this story. Well, here's the hard evidence. It's not speculation. It's right here in front of you to see. And that's powerful. Um, so that's uh, the book that led to the missionaries coming to Hawaii. Um, wow. Here, uh, did you faint, Pastor Pancho? Did you like, so after after Opukahaia does does die and um, the mission is is formed, uh, eventually they choose the missionaries and they find the boat and they get the money and they're gonna send the missionaries to Hawaii. This document right here is the sermon delivered at Goshen, Connecticut, at the ordination of Reverend Hiram Bingham. Reverends Hiram Bingham and Asa Thurston, many of you will remember those names as the co-leaders of the first missionary voyage to Hawaii. Here's the document um, from September 29th, 1819, right? And what is most important for us is that on the back of this document, clearly listed, yeah, I call this one the smoking gun for Hawaiians, okay? Clearly listed on the back, it says... Native teachers, John Honoli'i, Thomas Hopu, and William Kanui. So what was mind-blowing for me is that the first people to bring the gospel, first missionaries from America to bring the gospel to Hawaii were Native Hawaiians. Not only was the, the mission trip to Hawaii um, inspired by the life of a Native, Native Hawaiian, it was actually acted out by Native Hawaiians who brought the gospel as missionaries to Hawaii. And when you think about this story from a rational point of view, doesn't that make much more sense? How can a boat full of 12 white guys from Connecticut come to Hawaii and force their way into our society, get an, access, get an audience with the kings and queens and high priests, and then shove the Bible down their throat, all while not speaking any Hawaiian? That does not make sense. Although that is the story I loved and gravitated to as a young person, it just doesn't make sense, nor is it accurate. What actually happened was Native Hawaiians led the charge, and they had to. Who speaks the language? Who knows who Kamehameha is? Who knows who Heva Heva is? Who knows anything about anything? Not the missionaries. Well, yes, the missionaries, but the Native Hawaiian missionaries. And so sometimes we need to take a step back from the things we've heard, especially Hawaiians growing up here, take a step back from what we've heard and look at the story, you know, with the mind that God gave you. It doesn't make sense when, when we think of it that way. It couldn't have been that way. And when we tell the story that way, it makes us as Hawaiians look so weak and so stupid and so ignorant. And we weren't. We were strong and we were smart. We chose Christ. It wasn't shoved down our throats. It was presented by Hawaiians to us, other Hawaiians, and we accepted it. It was advocated by our, advocated for by our ali'i and our high priests, and that's the story of the Christianization of Hawaii. 
So for hundreds of years when we gave the credit and the disrespect to American missionaries, most of that is misplaced. Of course the missionaries played their part. Of course they, they taught the Bible. Of course, yes, all of those things. But they wouldn't have done any of that void of the native Hawaiian influence. So that was kind of awe for me at first, you know, as a Hawaiian to hear like, oh, we're responsible. But now it's something I take a lot of pride in. That Jesus wasn't brought by foreigners. It was brought by our own people who had chosen faith in Christ. That's powerful. And, and it remains the truth today that Christ is a choice. Nobody can make you choose Jesus and nobody could make the Ali'i choose Jesus back then. The gospel was presented, the Holy Spirit did its thing and Christ was accepted. And no matter how much People may not like that story. Um, that is where the research leads you. That's where the documented history takes you. You don't have to be a believer. You don't have to even have any sympathy towards Christianity. If you just do actual research, you find that out. The academic world doesn't refute this, by the way. You know, most, most credible um, university professors at UH would, would acknowledge the fact that Native Hawaiians played an integral part in the arrival of the gospel. You know. They won't share that openly and not in the classroom, but they know it, yeah. Do you want to know some water? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Thank you. Notice uh, Pastor Stephen offers you water, but not me, but that's okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> hey, um, so uh, Hopu, Thomas Hopu, uh, any other uh, story about him and getting yeah. on the boat? So for, uh, you know, for 200 years, Henry was the superstar of the story. But really, um, and he was very important. But Henry passed away. And he never lived to see the day when the gospel did reach the shores of his homeland. Hopu did. Hopu saw the whole thing. Hopu left Kialakikua. Hopu went all around the world. Hopu fought in wars. Hopu um, received Christ joined the mission, and returned to Hawaii as one of the original missionaries. His wedding was the first Native Hawaiian Christian wedding wow. in the history of Hawaii. Um, he was a faithful servant of, of the mission as a translator and as a teacher for many, many years, and not without sin. Uh, the, the, I think the saddest part of the story of Hopu is that he had an affair, uh, so he committed adultery, to which he, he repented and reconciled. And I guess that's the story of Christ's redemption in our lives too, but yeah, Hopu uh, really lived the full life. Uh, after all those years abroad, when he comes home, he actually finds his father and is able to um, preach the gospel message to his father, and his dad lives with him for the rest of his life. And oh, what we, what we just discovered recently in a, a personal letter from Thomas Hopu, a shout out to Christopher Cook, who's the researcher that um, found this. It's a letter in Boston that um, Thomas Hopu writes from Hawaii back to Boston. And it's uh, Liho Liho comes to Hopu and he says, I like this house, this missionary style house. I want you to build me one. And so Hopu says, oh, of course, we'll, I'll, you know, I'll write the letter and have them send the supplies, which is what the letter says. And then Liho Liho says, um, and I want to spend some time alone with you so that you can tell me about this God. Wow. This God of the Bible. And so 
Is that the evidence that uh, Thomas Hope was the first person to share the gospel with Liho Liho? Probably. Probably. Because he's a missionary. He's not going to not take that opportunity to share with, with the king, right? And so, uh, you know, just three months ago, we found out possibly the person who shared the gospel message with Liho Liho was Thomas Hopu. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So, yeah, he, he had a very full life. And he, he continues to amaze us. Uh, after 200 years, we actually found the memoirs of Thomas Hopu. Um, five or six years ago, I had seen an online reference to this document called the Memoirs of Thomas Hopu, spelled H-O-P-O-O. But it kind of seemed mysterious and not much, was, not much information was given about it. But we decided to, to research it anyway. Well, lo and behold, through a connection we had at Yale, we were able to find this box that was called the Hopu box. And inside of this Hopu box was a letter that was written and authored and penned by the hand of none other than Thomas Hopu himself. Wow. Uh, and so after all of those years, Mo'olelo Ku'io was the organization that was able to digitize the letter, transcribe it, and publish it. So if you go on Amazon, if you have Kindle, you can get the memoirs of Thomas Hopu for free on Amazon right now. Oh, wow. um, I have one. Yeah, and it was... Uh, <laughs> we found the box. It, it, it was... Um, validated by all of the professionals at Yale and, and the archives up there. So as far as the, um, the leading authorities in the world are considered, it is absolutely authentic. They match the paper, they match the penmanship and the signature, all exactly accurate to Thomas Hopu. And so uh, now, after a couple centuries of hibernation, we know the story of Thomas Hopu. And that story of the 400 miles you know, shipwreck, sailing by stars... That actually comes from his own diary. So that's a story we didn't know many years ago. We were the second people in history to ever have opened that box, according, wow. according to the archivist. Wow. The first person was a man named John F. Moholland in 1958. Wow. And he was the kahu of uh, Kamehameha School's Kapalama. Oh. So a uh, long, long time ago, some other guy had the same thought that we did. There's got to be something more out there about wow. Hopu. And so he had gone and saw it. This was before, you know, digitalizing stuff. And so he had used a typewriter to write up the memoirs of Hopu. And that's what I had found online. Wow. Two weeks after I had found it, it disappeared. From, from the same link that I was using, it, it no longer worked anymore. Wow. So I don't know what was going on, but God is good because we were able to save it yeah. And I used it for a while, not knowing if it was authentic, and then we found the real thing. So, wow. um, the story of hope was an, you know, absolutely amazing yeah. story. Well, we have like five minutes, but <laughs> you want to share maybe some other things on your heart, or, or what's the books you have in front of you too? Oh, okay, yeah, and we can talk story after too if you guys want. But lots of books. Um, So this is the um, the outside of this is a new binding because the inside was all bust up, but the inside is from 19, 1820 and these are the memoirs of Samuel John Mills Jr. the original. So we have not only Henry's diary but also Samuel John Mills Jr. diary 
And one of his final diary entries, he says, I think I go back to Connecticut and get Henry and we go to Oahe. Wow. That's how they spelled Hawaii, O-W-H-Y-E-E. <laughs> Remember, this is before Hawaiian alphabet. This is before literacy in Hawaii. This is 1818, right? There's no Hawaiian alphabet yet. So the words they write, you know, the way they spell words is not the way we spell them now. Um, so Henry's story doesn't end there. When the missionaries come, they realize that they have to give an account of why they're there. And so the first um, non-biblical printing on that famous printing press in Lahaina Luna, the first thing that they printed there that wasn't an alphabet and it wasn't um, a Bible was this book right here. And this is the Olelo Hawaii Memoirs of Henry Opukahaia. So they realized that they had to explain to the Hawaiians why they were there in their own language. So one of the first things they printed was the memoirs of Henry Opukahaia in Olelo Hawaii. So, pretty clever. Um, and we got a bunch of other stuff. You know. uh, let's see. Um, yeah, so there's, there's really 2,000 years of history trying to be packed into about 45 minutes of talking, which is impossible to do, and I'm sure I'm leaving out tons and tons of stuff and very important stuff too. But if you guys have any questions, um, I could field a couple what of questions too. Uh, well, one of the cooler characters in the story is a, a man named Rufus Anderson, who's uh, one of the uh, premier members of the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions in the mid-1800s. Uh, he's the man that writes an assessment on whether or not Hawaii has been Christianized. And this book is his assessment of the mission, uh, and he proudly declares that Hawaii is absolutely Christian. It's actually Rufus Anderson that ends uh, the mission in Hawaii. In 1848, Hiram Bingham writes a letter back to the corresponding secretary of the ABCFM named Jeremiah Everts, and he says, recall the missionaries, stop the funding, the mission is complete. <laughs> right? Said by no other missionary since. That wow. we sent missionaries to a country and the entire country is converted. Wow. Recall the missionaries and stop sending money because there's no more people to be won <laughs> for the kingdom. And, and we um, proudly boasted the title of most, most, literate, most literate and most Christian nation on earth come mid, the mid-1800s in Hawaii. Over 98% literacy for all the citizens of the kingdom of Hawaii and over 95% born-again, baptized, Bible literate Protestant Christian population of Hawaii. Isn't that awesome? So we're not talking about the broader spectrum of Christianity, including Catholicism and all these. No, we're talking about Protestant Christianity. Born again, baptized, Bible reading Christians. By the mid 1800s, nearly every single, not only Hawaiian, but person in Hawaii was that. Uh, and probably. One of the most interesting things about the um, conversion of Hawaii is the way that it happened. Not just the, the chronological, miraculous order of things. I, I left this part out, right? But while all of this is happening, Kamehameha the Great dies back home in Hawaii. He dies months before uh, the missionaries come. When he dies, his queens and his high priests and his 
ruling authority take it upon themselves to denounce the, the kapu system. Heva Heva, the high priest of Kamehameha, is the one who sets fire to the heiau and burns the ki'i of Kuka'ilimoku. Ka'ahumanu, Keopulani, and Liho-Liho publicly denounce the kapu system by eating together at a state dinner. And they didn't die when they did that. And so in the minds of a lot of Hawaiians, the, the shackles of the kapu begins to fall. All of these things are taking place before the arrival of the missionaries. The missionaries leave in 1819. They don't reach here till 1820. In that window, Kamehameha the Great dies and the ruling authority denounces the kapu system. Also, at the same time that that's happening, there's a huge revival that has um, taken place in, in Tahiti. And King Pomare, who is the, the king of Tahiti, is actually a relative of Queen Keopuolani. And so these whispers of the true God of the Bible have already began to trickle into Hawaii. And then Reverend William Ellis of the London Missionary Society, along with Tau'a and other Tahitians like Toketa, they come to Hawaii and they begin to minister to the gospel to Native Hawaiians and become Keopuolani's uh, you know, personal Bible study teacher. The missionaries arrive right after the kapu system is, is abandoned and then they're advocated for by the elite. And it's just like, if that's not God, then, then what is? You know? That, that there would be this vacuum in religious thought, right? Where we don't know what to believe anymore. The high priest just told us it's all a crock. Keopuolani, who's the you know, God on earth to us, she's in on it. Ka'ahumanu, the Kahina Nui, she's in on it. <laughs> Liho Liho, who's not only the king now, he's the new steward of Kuka Ilimoku, he's in on it. What are, we, what are we supposed to believe now? Oh, here comes these native Hawaiian missionaries telling you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I always like to use this metaphor. In a culture where if Ka'ahumanu walked by me and her shadow fell on me, I'd be put to death. And now I can stand in a prayer circle and hold her hand. And now I may have been makainana for generations in my family, but I'm being told that I'm ali'i, that I'm a son of the king of kings. Wow, I have mana too. Imagine these concepts being introduced to Hawaiians. It's no wonder why we were so deeply impacted and why we so um, quickly converted to Christianity. I mean, think about the, the restrictions of the kapu system and the caste system. If you're a kawa or if you're makainana, it's not a good life for you. You're ruled over by these people. And now the message of Christ comes in and it liberates you. Free from all this prohibition and alive in Christ. Of course we would have loved that. Of course we would have loved that. And all of those things happen in just the most remarkable chronological order, that it could not be anything but the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah. I, think, uh, I think you got to come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll figure it out maybe in a couple months or we yeah, get more it, of the story. It. Isn't this awesome? I mean, yeah. this is great to know, to understand and to to see the history and if anything tonight you guys maybe maybe you can see how god has been working behind the scenes yeah, yeah. in organizing orchestrating things you know for uh jesus christ to be preached and the revival to happen in hawaii back then 
and through these individuals and through the Hawaiians and all the intricate way God has worked, that, that's God. And be encouraged tonight. That's the way God works in our lives today even, you know. And I believe for Pastor Kael to be here with us and to hear the story is to inspire us, to encourage us, to bring our mind to, to this thought that God is bigger than us, God is bigger than our problems, to bring us to a place where we can trust God and have faith in Him, that no matter what you're going through, no matter, no matter what stuff is happening or in the world or you know, our island, our community, our state, whatever that is, God is still in control. And we may not know everything that's happening right now, but something's happening, meaning God is moving. God is working. So be encouraged by what we heard tonight in that way in Jesus Christ. Amen?